This is an ABC podcast. Today, how authorities are ramping up efforts to trap feral horses and keep them safely off the roads. Just about everywhere there's feral horses in Australia, they are increasing faster than they're being removed. So just about everywhere they'll build up until they start running out of food and space. And if you ever wanted to have a good old whinge about your town, we hear how the Tasmanian town of Launceston have come up with a very creative way of complaining. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country. But first in news at hand, rescue teams have found the bodies of two men who are missing in an underground mining accident in northwest Queensland. Dylan Langridge and Trevor Davis were in a utility at the Dugalt River Mine, northwest of Cloncurry, when they plummeted down a 25 metre deep hole yesterday. Crews reached the site of the fallen ute this afternoon. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. Staying in Queensland, where victims of youth crime have confronted the police commissioner and government ministers at a community forum. The meeting was called after the death of a 75-year-old man who was allegedly attacked by teenagers outside a Toowoomba taxi rank last week. As Laura Cox reports, the forum saw victims come forward to share their stories. Standing outside the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba, a crowd of more than 300 people made up of locals, shop owners, elderly residents and parents are waiting to get in. Well, I'm a victim of youth crime in the past and I'd like some assurances from the politicians, hopefully, that we can get some resolution. This is a little close to home. A friend of mine's parents were home invaded. He was a terminally, terminally ill man. And um, these people threatened to stab them, kill their dog, held them apart, raided their house. Now, this was back in 2018. So what has happened since then? The forum was a chance for government ministers, the Queensland Police Commissioner and senior local officers to shed some light on the current crime situation in the region. It comes two months after a deadly shooting rampage that took the lives of two police officers and a civilian a week after a 75-year-old man was fatally assaulted at a taxi rank outside a shopping centre and a day after two women were shot in a hotel in Toowoomba's CBD. Some of you may be here because you're concerned about your community. Some may be here because you're scared. We all share those feelings. And again, I wanted to commend you for being here. But after an hour and a half of presentations, the crowd became heated. I was raped about three years ago by a 14-year-old. And all I'm hearing you talk about is burglaries, cars being stolen. Why don't we talk about, I got three counts of rape, first of all. No criminal record, just parole. I can't even say his name. I've been through a lot. And in the court, all they care about is him. And how if I ruin his life if I say his name? Is there someone in particular you'd like to hear a response from? All of you. 
Wrapping up close to midnight, the crime forum did end with some results. The Queensland Police Commissioner has pledged to host another forum in six months to give an update on new youth crime measures. This includes a youth co-responder team which will be established in Toowoomba and 35 new officers recruited to the southern region next financial year. Members for Toowoomba North and Toowoomba South, Trevor Watts and David Janetsky, say it was disappointing that more high-profile politicians, such as Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, were not present. We've seen a man lose his life in Toowoomba in the last week. We've seen people shot in our CBD. The Premier is so arrogant that she's chosen not to attend tonight. And I think people in Toowoomba are rightly angry and disappointed by that. David Janetsky, member for Toowoomba South. These are personal stories of men and women who are fearful in their homes with baseball bats under their beds. The elderly, one sleeping while one keeps watch. What we saw tonight was that flowing over of that emotion. But Commissioner Katerina Carroll says she is listening to community concerns. We spoke about some of the initiatives and there's been many early intervention programs, but what is coming to Toowoomba is the Youth Responder Program. We're continuing our high-vis patrols and what we've clearly seen from that is we've really, um, well, we've put more people in watch houses as a result. But one of the great things that came out of that is the, the proactive patrols in shopping centres and businesses and, you know, and really with community. That really has resonated and had a great impact. So we will keep you know, rolling that on. In the meantime, locals in Queensland are waiting for results. I, I feel like I've got PTSD. Um, I lose sleep over it. It's frightening the whole of our, our city. Sandra Flack, a Toowoomba shop manager, speaking at the Youth Crime Forum that went to midnight last night in Toowoomba. That report from Laura Cox. And if this story has raised concerns for you or anyone you know, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This is ABC Australia Wide. And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. Authorities are ramping up efforts to trap feral horses in a gimpy forest after a rising number of car strikes. The feral horse population within Tulara State Forest, north of Gympie, is estimated to have increased by up to 50% in the past four years to about 3,000. Two horses have been hit by cars in the past fortnight and as Meg Bolton reports, authorities fear the next incident could be fatal. Deep in a gimpy forest, six horses stand together in a fenced pen. Oh, girly. Equine expert Dr Dave Berman is giving them food and water. He slowly trapped them by introducing an electric fence to their habitat. Wednesday, they moved into our electric fence that we'd prepared. They were feeding beside the busy road and we've, we moved them in and then contained them in this electric fence. And then we worked on them to get them into the portable panels behind you there. Can't get them upset at all. You've got to get them in. They actually, we tried to get them to walk in without them even knowing they're being captured. So we shut the fence in and then we allow them to find the electric fence and find that they're contained. Very passive. Wild horses have roamed the Talara State Forest north of Gympie for decades, but they're quickly growing in numbers by about 300 a year. As the population reaches about 3,000, the horses are expanding their territory, crossing roads and posing a major safety risk. A horse going through a vehicle, it's inevitable that someone will be killed if horses are on those roads. 
Two horses have been hit by cars alongside Talara State Forest in the past fortnight. Forest managers HQ Plantations are working with equine experts to make the roads safer for both horses and humans. Stakeholder engagement manager Stephanie Hunt. There's no reason from a forest management perspective that we need to look at feral horse management, but we are concerned that someone will die. There, there are multiple accidents every year and eventually someone will lose their life in a collision with a feral horse and that's not a situation that we can accept. To counteract the population growth, Dr Dave Berman says more than 300 horses need to be relocated every year. But in order to achieve those numbers, more homes are needed to relocate the Brumbies to. Just about everywhere there's feral horses in Australia, they are increasing faster than they're being removed so just about everywhere they'll build up until they start running out of food and space and the risk will increase so something has to be done. Less than 5% of the horses trapped in the forest in the past 10 years have been euthanised and that was only because of significant health or temperament issues. Horse trainer Anna Urig collects the wild horses, trains them and matches them with their new owners. We run camps where people come and they do different lengths of camp, so it can be up to 10 days. And then they, they get their own Brumby and they're taught the stages of getting that Brumby from completely wild and unhandled to having a first ride. She says preparing the animals for domestic life is often a seamless transition. Alright, just pretty them up a bit. Good boy. Once you get them into a training environment and get them on, you know, hard feed and they got all the water and all the feed they could need and then they start to learn how to interact with people, you know, you wouldn't know the difference between a a domestic horse and a Brumby if they've been handled well. She's urging people to consider either adopting or fostering a rehomed Brumby. Anyone can take a horse. We just need them to have, you know, a secure yard for when the Brumby first gets there if it's unhandled. And, yeah, a bit of knowledge about how to care for that animal. Some horses can take months to tame, but those involved in the rehoming process say it's well worth the time and effort. Some of the Brumbies are just, like, incredible. So they just they understand and then they go, OK, I can do that for you. I can just get on this random truck that's pretty scary and then, you know, be transported and then be handled and so they make really great companion animals or therapy horses show jumpers trail riding horses you you know we free home so many horses over the years and the brumbies just they're so versatile when you find a good home for a horse and you see the face of the person who's taking it you can actually change someone's life the partnership that they develop and that bond is incredible wild horses have a strong bond between each other but then then, then they can have that same bond between the horse and the person who takes them. Dr Dave Berman finishing that story from Meg Bolton. Now we're going to head to Queensland. Our reporter, Julia Andre, is at the site of the Dugald River Mine. And Julia, have I got you there? Yeah, hi, Sinead. Now, Julia, tell me what you know. Uh, It's absolutely tragic news this evening to hear that The two miners reported missing at Dougald River mine site uh, yesterday in northwest Queensland have been confirmed dead. Dylan Langridge and Trevor Davis, they were operating a light utility vehicle near a stope yesterday morning when a large cavernous space where ore is extracted from uh, caved in and they fell through that. There was a drilling rig attached to that 
utility vehicle that also fell after them. The occupant of them managed to escape. Uh, operations at the mine have been halted since yesterday and search and rescue crews have been working overnight last night and all through today, but a parent company to the mining contractor company that these two men were contracted by, Parenti, have put out a statement confirming that the two men are dead. The managing director and chief executive of the company, Parenti, Mark Norwell, said it's a devastating outcome. I know there were emergency services vehicles moving towards the mine site, numbers of them today. What's the kind of scene like there, Julia? It's actually quite still here now, Sinead. We have been back and forward to the mine site a few times today uh, and there's just been a steady flow of police, Queensland Ambulance Service crews heading in and out. It's certainly a horrible outcome. A shocking thing to happen happen on the mine site. 500 people work at this mine site. Some of them fly in, fly out. Some of them local to Cloncurry. Are they receiving assistance with this awful news? Uh, MMG and Barminko and Parenti said that they are uh, providing support to the colleagues and families when we were in Cloncurry today, though the mood is very sombre and anxious. We're strongly in mining region here in northwest uh, Queensland. It's the, mining is the heart of the region. And if you're not involved in the mining industry, you know someone that's involved in the mining industry. And it's something that's really hit close to home for a lot of people in Cloncurry and even in Mount Isa as well throughout northwest Queensland. Terrible news. Um, Julia Andre, thanks for talking to Australia Wide. And just to repeat, rescue teams have found the bodies of two men, Dylan Langridge and Trevor Tre- Davis, and they were found late this afternoon. Um, thanks, Julia. Thanks, Sinead. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. A major surf life-saving competition is underway on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland with thousands of junior surf, surf lifesavers battling it out in the waves and on the beach for line honours. But what happens when you're a nipper from far north Queensland and you're not able to train in the ocean because of the crocodiles and marine stingers during the summer months? You hit the local cable ski park dam, which is not without its own set of unique challenges, as Christy Sexton-McGrath reports. It's a world away from the stunning beaches of southeast Queensland, but when you're a nipper from the north, the ocean isn't an option during the dangerous marine stinger season. It's just on dawn and around 40 bleary-eyed kids from the North Queensland Youth Life Saving Team have turned up at the Cable Ski Park in Cairns with their boards ready for a big session. While the far north has plenty of beautiful beaches on its doorstep, entering the water during the summer months can be dangerous due to crocs and stingers. So head coach Colin Cameron had to come up with a solution ahead of the State Youth Life Saving Championships underway at Mooloolabar. Some mornings we get here and uh, it's just walking alive with cane toads. So it makes us for a little bit of fun. But, uh, yeah, they don't mind it. I mean, this is also a barra farm too, so we're going all right. What's it like training out there? A little bit hot, a little bit humid, a few cane toads. But the kids, I have to admit, I admire every single one of them from 11 right up to the 15s. They're here, they're in the water at 5.30 and they give everything they can three times a week. Why are you training at the wake park? 
Unfortunately, up here in the north, we're not really allowed to go in the nets just in case for risk assessment-wise and uh, duty of care, just because of the tropics here in the north. There are a few beautiful natural creatures. This is the only place that we can train that allows one space and to the uh, capacity to do both events, both board and swim. Not training in the surf, does it have a bit of a, an impact on the kids when it comes to competing to those who, who have the beaches on their doorsteps? We do end up in the top, uh, I would say, quarterfinals. Some of them do make the finals. Their fitness is extreme. It's really, really good. Their aerobic fitness is fantastic. Yeah, it inhibits us a bit not being able to get in that ocean and understand the timing. But outside of that, we try to just muck around a bit. We have a few little games that we play to try to help them, you know, get off the board, on the board, pop, roll. So, yeah, it does to answer the question, but we try to do our best. Lily Young is 13 and one of the oldest members of the team. She says the conditions in the freshwater dam can be challenging at times. One day we came and there was a beach of toads. Just everywhere there was toads. You could not get in or out of the water. It was feral. Yeah. Captain Matthias Moorman says the lack of waves is no impediment to their determination to succeed. Personally, I try to train the hardest because I this will be my first year going down properly because last year we got cancelled, so I want to make this one uh, a nice memory, something that I can relate back to and say, hey, I trained really hard for this. You should be proud of yourself. So you kids are from far north Queensland. You're a long way from those beaches in the southeast. Do you think you have something more to prove? It just shows anyone can do it. You don't have, even if you don't have the uh, the waves down here, you can still you can still prove to everyone else that you can do it. Yeah. And while the beaches in the north are quiet now, in the winter it's a different story, with thousands of tourists from across the country and the world flocking to the ocean. Surf Life Saving Queensland Regional Operations Manager Jen Reese says training up the next generation of lifesavers is vital to ensure the safety of swimmers, but recruiting junior lifesavers is difficult, given parents' fear of stingers and crocodiles. There's a bit of a decline last year. We are up against, you know, a lot of other sports where they're now, once upon a time, they might be, have been seasonal, but now they're going all year with their, with their sport. I guess what we need to do is really get the message out there and increase people's knowledge around marine stingers because it is seasonal. So we are looking at, you know, an area between November and May where there, we are in stinger season. There's a lot of the marine stingers in the water. But then from June onwards, so June right through to October, we can really enjoy the water and the marine stinger nets come out. It's the most awesome pathway, you know, from from a young person learning and understanding surf rescue skills, being able to go through their emergency care training, understanding what it is like to be involved in a, a community environment. And then we move more into your youth and your teenagers where we have these amazing development camps. And also the fact that, you know, whether you're five years old or whether you're 70 years old, you know, there's a place for everyone. It is pretty fantastic, Nippers. Surf Life Saving Queensland Regional Operations Manager, Jen Reese, ending that story from Christy Sexton McGrath. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio.
And finally, we're going to head to Launceston in Tassie, where locals have found a unique and creative way of having a good old whinge about their hometown. As part of Mona Foma Festival, Launceston will be getting its own complaints choir, where a cast of amateurs will be singing a song packed full of complaints that have been submitted by the locals. Andre Leslie doesn't mind a bit of a bit of a whinge himself, and he signed up to be part of the choir. Um, anyway, let's have a go. Uh, from that. Oh, hang on, mate. We haven't solved the echo problem, have we? What do we want to do? That's Travis Hennessy, who works in music at Launceston College. He's composing the tune and conducting the Complaints Choir. Some of this group are singing in a choir for the first time, he says. I know some people have felt like they're a bit out of their depth, but they've been contributing and, and everybody's had a part in writing the song. And so now it's just getting those, the performative elements of it. I think we're in good shape and we'll be ready to go. Was it tough to put the song together? Oh, uh, is this sort of thing you do before breakfast? Like, uh, <laughs> I have done a lot of composing in the past and, and I've written a lot of music and I work with vocal lines and, and choirs and harmonies and I really, really, really enjoy that kind of uh, composing. In this instance, it was tricky because I wanted to definitely use the complaint suggestions as some of them like verbatim literally word for word as they were uh, suggested to us i was really wanted to try and keep some of that authentic language um, from our launceston public still have to make it work you know there's still you still have to find a way to keep things in time and and work out your meters and and time signatures and then you have to make sure that the whole thing doesn't sound the same so i definitely wanted to break it into sections and have each section sound different from the one that it was um the one that it follows why can't we have a bridge across So let's meet some of these whingers. Unlike me, they seem to mainly be real deal locals who have been residents in Launceston for a while but still wanted to have a go at their hometown. I think um, it's a really fun way to get your complaints out instead of being a misery guts about it. (laughs) Very true, very true. I grant you that. Like it's a more creative way. And having just done the singing myself actually feels quite good afterwards to sing. It does, yeah. Look, musically, what do you think of this piece that we're putting together here? It's, there's a lot going on in there, isn't there? I'm really enjoying seeing the collaborative process and um, how you can put a bunch of complaints together and the music changes and how you actually make them work in a composition sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you get from a bunch of written words to a bunch of sung words with a whole group of people who've never sung together before. Oh, I think, you know, I feel like everyone has their 
their own little tiffs and taffs they have personally with Launceston, whether it's something small or something big. And I think it's just fun to come together with a group of people that have the same goal of hashing some stuff out and getting it out there. I'm looking forward to seeing Launceston enjoy this because I am 90% sure that everyone's going to love this. There'll probably be a few sticklers out there that might um get a bit grumpy about it but it's all in good fun and like if you can't laugh about stuff like this then you know you've got to learn to <laughs> i hate that i can't sit down for dinner i hate that i can't sit down for dinner i hate I just love that. That was the Launceston Complaints Choir and they'll be going strong for the next couple of days and Andre Leslie was reporting there from Launceston. And that's Australia Wide for this Thursday. Remember, you can podcast the show at a time that is convenient to you whenever you want to. Head to the ABC Listen app and while you're there, why don't you subscribe? We'd love if you would. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.